Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your eloquent co-hosts, Carlos Cooper with me as always, Joe Hilliard and Dave Gurney. And, you know, you know the vibes. I don't even need to tell you Big at vibes. this point uh, what we are doing. We're going to talk about a movie while we drink a beer, and then we're going to talk about that beer. But the first step in that process is to get the beer in the glass so that we can drink it while we discuss the film. That's right. What are we going to do? Joe. This, this is one that David brought to the table. Let me give credit where credit is due. It is by Tup's Brewery. It's our third time to enjoy a little tubs. Out of I McKin- think we enjoyed them a great deal in the past. They're out of McKinney, Texas, and I, I believe, I mean, memory serves, gets foggy because some of these beers are high ABV, and while I'm on that subject, is 12.1%. That's 12.1%? This one is. We're starting at 12, my friend, and we're oh, only going damn. up from there. Stay tuned. But yeah, we enjoyed Tups. Full-grown man. It's their Imperial Stout. It's a robust stout brewed with molasses and aged on cocoa nibs for a bunch of aroma. Before we start talking about... I'm a big about fan our, of molasses. Before we start talking about our first movie, though, let's get some in our glass and take let's a whiff it. and do this beer up properly. 12.1. Look at that. Look at, the, look at what it's doing in your glass. That was, that was magic. That was magic. Slightly, unre- rich. slightly unrelated to beer, but slightly related to beer because of the style that we're having right now. Have y'all seen this Nitro Pepsi business? No. Pepsi has a new soda that is nitri- nitrogen infused, the way that a Guinness is. Wow. I can't find it anywhere. I've been looking far and wide, but I'm very intrigued. That's all I have to say about that. All right. I will have to seek that out. All right. What Are you getting the cacao? It's definitely a very rich. It's rich aroma, but I'm not getting cacao specifically. No, I'm getting a lot. I'm getting the roast, full yeah, roastiness of a uh, of a stout. But, but I don't know that I'm like getting the marshmallowy. There, there's something kind of extra sweet about about the nose that I'm. Well, the molasses would molasses. Give you a lot there of you sugar, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited, guys. David's um, double I'm excited because Watch out. this is an episode long in the making. When I say long, I mean since we did the player. Right. Just about, what, 10, 12 weeks, weeks ago? Yeah, weeks back when we uh, we we did the player. Um, and, and in that discussion, we revealed, or it was revealed to us, that Carlos was sadly deficient on his Altman uh, experience up to that point. David, I'm deficient on things. I'm sure you are too. I don't oh, know. yeah. Yeah, no, that's not, not me. sadly in any kind of derogatory way. No, but... It, but Robert Altman, I mean, Carlos himself, knew that this is somebody who's well-respected within mm-hmm. you know, guy. filmmaking, that you you know who Altman is. Um, Player's who, a nice first uh, dip of the toe into the I pool. I think so. We all enjoyed it. It, it was definitely a, a great first time. I very, very, very much liked that movie. Altman experience on beer in a movie. But... but no. We wanted to try to program an episode that would allow us to dip back into some of those classic Altman films that had really established him as a filmmaking presence back in the new Hollywood era of the late 1960s, early 1970s, right through the 1970s. Um, And so we decided that we would pick a couple of his films 
that really established him, right? That, that, that sort of put that off. And we're going to start this episode in this first half looking at the a film that many people will recognize by title, if not actually having seen it. More likely, they've seen episodes of the series it inspired just a few years later. And this is the 1970 film MASH, um, which is set during the Korean War, um, the Korean conflict. The show was Vietnam, right? No, the show was still Korea. Oh, it, was really? al- it was always Korea, but the idea was this was being put out right in the midst of the Vietnam conflict. And so as much as it was a film looking at the past about this earlier conflict that America had gotten drawn into through its kind of Cold War... Draw um, your own conclusions. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that it was almost more so than it was a historical look back. It was more a commentary on the moment of when the film was released. Now, by the time the series got started, I think uh, Vietnam had kind of cooled down, right? It, it, it was, we I think were, kinda, we're almost out. Yeah. yeah. So, so at that point, it was maybe a little bit more retrospective in that sense anyway. But when this came out, it was really, while Vietnam was still a going concern for yeah. the United States. Um, but this was looking back at Korea and, you know, MASH uh, standing for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. This is a unit that was there to essentially tend to people who were taken off the front line yeah. because they had been injured mm-hmm. um, to try to heal them, do surgery, you know, whatnot. Um, and what we're seeing is a we, – we can get into how, how we think of this film structurally, but there's not really necessarily a single narrative through line here is there – is as much a, like a series, series of, of snapshots, yeah. vignettes of these moments in the life cycle of this kind of army unit that's there to tend to the wounded soldiers as they're coming back from the battlefield. And you're seeing more so than the series, a lot of very graphic surgery detail right i mean that is something that's blood note of, yeah. and you know, th- th- this sort of thing which if you're if you're only familiar from uh with mash from the tv series you may be shocked by watching this film who was the guy that played hawkeye alan arkin uh, alan alda. alda alda and uh you know but, i mean close but, different but, but also very different but close <laughs> in the film as with the series very much focused on the hijinks of these characters sure. as they interact and try to occupy themselves and and take their mind off of the horrors of war that's that exactly seeing. right their job is to be face to face with the horrors of war right their off time is to completely decompress as however i have to from the horrors of war. Right. And so it, you have th- here, you know, quite a cast when it comes to acting talent, right? Donald Sutherland uh, as Hawkeye Pierce. Doing his best Christopher Lloyd, I feel. He reminded me so Pre- much Christopher of... Pre-Christopher Lloyd. I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, yeah. but he reminded me so much. He just, to me, for some reason, looked like Christopher Lloyd huh. in this movie. Especially yeah. when he had his hat on. Elliot Gould as uh, Trapper John. Uh, Incredible Tom in the Oceans movies. As Duke Forrest. Sally Kellerman, who came up on an... Well, wait, will that a be past an episode, episode? A past, past episode. episode as uh, the the professor Tom, in back in back to school. But uh, here How could I ever forget? Houlihan. Uh, yeah. Hot Lips, yeah. Tom Skerritt from Harold and Maude? Yeah. Uh, Bicop? Yeah, okay. there you go. Uh, Robert, Robert Duvall. Duvall as Major Frank Burns, uh, Rene Abergenois, who will come up later in the episode, uh, playing uh, Father Francis 
um, Mul- Mulcahy. Uh-huh. Uh, you also have uh, Bud Court showing up in there, who is also in Harold and Maude. Did not right? catch that. You did watch this one. Yeah, oh, the, the I guy. watched this one first. Okay, okay. The, first. Uh, it's the kid that Robert Duvall dresses down when he when the when the patient dies and he blames it on yeah, Bud Court right. and then um, Elliot Gould punches him because he's being such yeah, a prick. Yeah, 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 he wears yeah. glasses. Bud Court was Bud Court's I, I also that. the voice on the PA system the entire film. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, like I said, I I hadn't seen Harold Amad yet when I watched Michael this. Murphy who shows up in in other Altman films mm-hmm. and, and also notably. Fred Williamson, yeah, who uh, was a professional football player. Uh, I didn't know about him, and and was in black exploitation films later. Yeah, but this was his first on-screen and then, role, and then even later, later because wasn't he the star of "I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker," which was right like a, a parody, a parody of, of black exploitation films. films. Yes, absolutely. He was in a parody of the thing that he was known for. Love absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Love it. So, so stacked cast. All of these people playing these characters. Huge hit. The biggest comedy of 1970. Made a lot of money match. Was it really? Yeah, big, big, big dough. Interesting. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, for them to want to launch a TV series based it, on it. It was like this first indie film within the studio system in this new Hollywood phase that we've entered into. We love it. Think about it. This is Altman's first film. Do so, a shot every time you hear the word New Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> That's going to come up in this. It's going to come up in this. So, um, you it's know, been a theme again, I, I, can't, I can't really draw a narrative through line for us other than we are watching this encampment of surgical soldiers who yeah. are there to be treating the wounded coming back from the front lines. Um, their various kind of jockeying for position in the camp, and then uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, one of the first kind of narrative pieces that you follow is Hawkeye trying to get um, uh, Frank Burns out of his uh, tent because the character played by Robert Duvall just never stops praying. Yeah. And incessant praying. (laughs) And they're just like, you have to get this guy the fuck out of here. And then uh, he's also upset that they're trying to chain uh, train, um, Ho John or uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, to be their bartender <laughs> right and give uh, him a Playboy magazine uh, rather, uh, rather than the Bible uh, yeah it's crazy yeah it's it's so I okay so I struggled with this movie um I really liked Elliot Gould in it just because I like Elliot Gould like I don't know he just has this thing about him that yeah. I just like watching him this on is the movie that made Elliot Gould a star because of that wry take of very little dialogue but all facial expressions and he's just mustache he's just good yeah a lot of mustache from him in this movie mm-hmm. um but I just had a I mean I get, the second half of the film got me back a little bit like I was able to kind of pick up a bit more um but the thing the strength that this movie has is that there are times where the hijinks involve punching up they're like when they go to tokyo and the guy is not going to let them help the child that's from the community which they're like stationed in Mm -hmm. and they fuck with him and they like you know that stuff is funny because fuck that guy you know right and you know they're 
shaking up the way that the sh- very rigid army structure of things well, works. Well, and, and them them going after Burns on its surface isn't a bad thing. Yeah, but though, the, though, but the, but the, the, the first, fact that it, it goes through Houlihan is a problem. She's more of the target of it than him, and that's and that's the reason that I had a hard time with this movie because the first hour or so of this movie, most of the comedy relies on you hating women. Like just hating them. I don't know about and hating, <laughs> but but it's certainly it's using them as a punchline. It is rooted to a very what feels like an incredibly archaic form of gender politics. That, your heroes in this movie, yeah, your main characters are so misogynistic in the first half of this movie that by the time you get to the second half where you get some of the better comedic well, moments coming in, I'm just like, I'm out. I'm and out on it. The thing I'll throw in there, and I hear where you're coming from, I have my, I have the same problem with this film, I have right? Like, too, I, yeah. I, this film, I understand why it occupies the position it does. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think we'll get to talking about some of the, like, sort of formal technical aspects of it that I think are, are still worthy of praise. But... You know, it's caught between capturing a certain moment in the history of sort of patriarchal culture and also trying to kind of balance that with or or it's incorporating that within the moment of the kind of sexual revolution that was taking place in the 1960s. Right. There's this kind of blase attitude towards monogamy and fidelity that um, that's there that. You know, I can see it. It tilts towards misogyny at times, but 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 it's also couched partly in this like, w- look, we're all about to die. Like sure. any moment, a bomb can drop on this place, and we're, we're all, all dead. dead. And if we don't so, die, we're seeing the worst of war. Every yeah, day. right. And we're watching people die, whether right. or not we die personally. Yeah. We're watching death, right, constantly, right. And, and so, in that context, fuck it. If this makes me feel good, sure. I'm going to do it. And, and, and I forgive not only the film for presenting that, but I, I believe representing a probably very real or close to real notion. Like the, there's a different set of rules here because they're dealing with something that the three of us certainly aren't going to, you know. Right. Sure. It, it, it is interesting because this is the first time I've seen MASH in 10 years and I would have called MASH 10 years ago a very highly esteemed film. So I was watching it through the same lens that you are, the 2022 lens, where there is specifically horrible behavior towards women in this film. It, 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 we all three, I think, agree on that. In 1970, like I like, I like the historical like snapshot of in 1970, this was considered a humor that that we don't consider it now. Some of the things they do are clear on crimes, you know. I mean, between injecting the person on the football field with a with a <laughs> sedative, sure. to gassing the corp the the commanding officer that was preventing them from doing surgery on the child, which was one of the moments I found the funniest. <laughs> sure, to raising punching up again. raising the side of the tent so we can all in a spectator situation see a fellow. A colleague nude, a female colleague nude. Another officer, sure. Yeah, it, and be, her it, and and her reaction to that makes it way it's, worse. It's now. fucking fantastic acting. Well, she's traumatized. Sure, oh, yeah. She's it, it, 
maybe maybe if it was the 1980s and she played it in the oh my god now how did they get away with it like whatever but she's like crying how did they get away with it then because these were acceptable targets and the targets aren't the femaleness of it it's the rigid no because burns is the same thing he gets taken off in a straight jacket yeah (laughs) you know because he's out of his mind (laughs) right so so it's 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 the 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 stead the 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 squares sure sure the folks that are supporting the notion that in this chaos in this hell we should stick to the government's rules i, I and that was a target i think at the time that made sense but the definitely the misogyny is on full display yeah There's and no i doubt about it i 100 percent get what you're saying and interestingly enough the parts where uh hawkeye is being very cavalier about the fact that the woman he's having an affair with has a husband and downplaying it and like who gives a fuck like all that kind of stuff none of that bothered me at all because i was like well but but hit their initial introduction lieutenant dish right i mean that's a character the um she's she's a hot dish when they initially goes in before she's reciprocating it's just them berating her with oh yeah sure sexual harassment no 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 and yeah but like i mean once we see them like in bed together and like when she leaves and like that those are the moments i'm talking about where like they're very specifically saying that like who gives a shit if you're married or like whatever like that doesn't matter like there's a point where characters talk to each other and basically say like who gives a fuck about monogamy you know and those parts didn't bother me as much the parts that bothered me were the parts where hawkeye is saying to hot lips uh which i really probably shouldn't even call her that but um saying like you know if you weren't so pretty i'd blah blah you know whatever just like those kind of cavalier comments the part where they like expose her in the shower yeah big issue and i and i think the well, re- the fact that she's eventually won over and becomes part of the gang and and is even more like overzealous <laughs> than them yeah it, it but but i think that i think the reason that i ha- struggled with those moments as much is because i don't think they did a great job of making her the uptight villain that she needed to be in order to kind of be able to go there with the terrorizing yeah like i i I I feel like i feel like with sergeant burns they really they hit it home super early the first time you meet him fuck that guy he's way too intense he's ruining everybody's fun like he's kind of a dick he's very stoic and often and he's an easy person to not like and and maybe it's because I saw Sally Kellerman and I was like, okay, I'm in love with you, please. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, because I just saw back, I had just seen Back to School recently. And so yeah. I was already prone to really liking her. And I'm, I'm sure that could be a bias that is in play. But I just never felt like they made her villainous enough to justify the well, kind of treatment that she gonna, deserves. Th- but then in part because they need to bring her back around by the end of it where sure she's but like she gets it the, the worst game. of anybody no she does you're right i mean it's, and so it's, it's hard it's to, like I, a hazing that goes on with her no i mean it's it's, it's incredibly a ba- uncomfortable for it's a, it's a, a lot a, of the scenes yeah. yeah sorry it's a balance they don't achieve like it's of, a balance of, they of achieved making in her 1970 i think which feels uncomfortable in 2020 and, and, and especially a balance in 1970 retrospectively looking back the movie the was a hit this was okay behavior sure. 10 years later we'd be carving holes in shower walls to look at the girls and porkies like yeah 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 it's it's i get it's it it's acceptable and so we look at it as a museum piece i really do david hope we get to the technique the yeah. what did altman deliver in this first go round yeah which we will as this is my last statement about any of this stuff, and then we can get into that mm-hmm. kind of thing. 
but one of the things is I thought like I had like about a 24 hour period to like mull it over in my mind to think about it. And then we were spending some time with Kylie's mom, who's a little bit older than either of y'all, um, would have maybe seen this in its original theatrical run, but at least within five, maybe years of it coming out, um, was definitely around for the time period in which it was released. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I asked her, I was like, have you ever seen MASH? And she was like, man, you know, like the TV show. And I was like, no, the movie. She was like, oh, it's a movie. And I started describing it to her and telling her who was in it. And she was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I've, I think I've seen that before. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's been a really long time. I don't really remember it. And I was like, okay, well, I was, I was curious because I watched it recently and, you know, whatever, this, this, and that. But, but it, the more I've been thinking about it, the more that I'm starting to suspect that the very specific political climate of the time, the things that were going on in the world at that specific time might have informed a lot about this movie that me, as somebody so far removed from mm-hmm. that point in history, might not be able to understand why some of these things were funny or maybe understand the sentiment with which the people went into making this movie. Like, maybe, yeah, you know, it, it, just those kinds of things of, like, the time and place is so important to the success of this film. And me, as someone who wasn't even born until 22 years after its release is too far removed from to be able to really get into why it would have been so successful and why audiences would have received it so well. And she was like, Oh yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't remember enough of it to really be able to say, I love that Alan Arkin. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Alda. Alda. Yeah. I know. (laughs) That was the joke. Guys. Thanks. He was making fun of me. I caught it. Uh, and so I'm I'm suspicious that that's part of it and why yeah. it didn't land as much for me. Obviously, the misogyny and stuff like has not aged well, and yeah. at the time was different. And yada yada yada. But the political climate, I suspect, might have been a big part of it as well. But you see, straight out of the gate, like as soon as the movie starts, you're getting people talking over each other. You're getting yeah. all of these staples of Robert Altman and what he's going to go on to do in his career that I think... Well, uh, I mean, this is... You look at this, and this is, you know, in essence, a war film, right? But it's a war film that doesn't valorize battle and honor. and this You don't idea. see battle. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Brilliant for budgeting purposes. Yeah. And instead, <laughs> you're seeing... I mean, design. the most battle you see is football, fo- the, the football match. Um, that, you know, instead you're seeing... What does war do to people? Like, what what state does it put them in? And it's the state of disarray. It's the state of like complete chaos, controlled chaos. But right, there's no control. Upending the sense of any authority. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're so wantonly sort of f- flouting any attempt to impose order on them. Yeah, and for good reason. Like I said, like if you're in this situation where at any moment the front line could essentially encroach on you. You could be bombed. You yeah, could be... Because like, they say how many miles they are. Three. That, yeah, three they, miles, They, they right? mentioned three miles from the front. That's really... Which is nothing. Really I mean, like, close. If you think about it. It's a quick like, helicopter could, ride for someone that's uh, close to death. That's I mean, right. for someone who's a good runner, that's, I mean, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, for me, 12. 
And so, you know, <laughs> anything that that could happen could, you know, anything could happen at any moment. And the idea that it kind of puts you in this like weird state where all of these things that wouldn't be allowed back home, right, where where you're mm-hmm. from, yeah. are suddenly kind of just there. And it's yeah. like, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna be living under these conditions, fine. That means anything can happen. There's there's great sort of humor to be found in that and and that's what you know again it's like a dark humor it's a and they're finding that these characters are but it's also a product of the times right where were we in terms of gender relations in the 1950s in that sense it's kind of a fairly accurate portrayal like this is how men treated women this is how men viewed women Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's good it doesn't mean that it's something that we should celebrate but i but i also you know i think if the film has a, a sin in that sense it it is in that you know Trapper John, Hawkeye Pierce, like these are clearly our heroes. They're the mm-hmm. ones that we're going to root for, and they make some bad decisions, but they're very much rooted in their time. Um, the film doesn't ask us to to cast any judgment. That like to, it doesn't really give us any commentary on that. I think we can bring that as viewers now, but it it's I mean it's it's a problematic film. But what you were just getting to, Carlos, in exposing the kind of dirtiness and just weirdness of these kind of situations, what war actually does to people and the kind of strange context it puts people in, it's really an interesting sort of you know peephole into what that is. For somebody who's never experienced that himself, yeah. like I can only yeah. imagine what when I'm put into those conditions which are so different than my day-to-day life like what would it be <laughs> well, yeah, like certainly but that's what I'm saying no, like, yeah. what would it be like if I was put in a situation where it's like I'm trying to help people but at any given moment this could all go up in flames and I could die, and I'm con- yeah. right and, and I'm I got drafted right. and I got drafted and I, got right. say, and I didn't ask to be here a relationship yeah. with my employer yeah right. I, and and look I just I want to be as clear as I possibly can that I don't think that like this movie is bad as a result of the way that it's aged or that it shouldn't exist or that people shouldn't watch it or that anything like that. My It's difficult to watch it through any other lens. Well, my main thing more than anything is that it's a comedy mm-hmm. and a lot of the jokes in the first hour are rooted in misogyny, which yeah. is hard for me to laugh at. Yeah. And so like a lot of the bits that are supposed to be the most entertaining from like a comedic perspective right. are things that I don't particularly find funny. I find kind of gross. Right. M- makes it more difficult to enjoy. Do I think it's a bad movie? Of course not. It's a Robert Altman movie. Do I think that it's a movie that nobody should ever watch? Of course not, because, I mean, it led to one of the longest-running sitcoms of all time. This is where it comes from. Do I think Donald <coughs> Sutherland's great in it? Yes. Elliot Gould? Yes. Robert Duvall? Yes. Sally Kellerman? Yes. They're all great in this movie. Everybody is crushing on all levels as far as performance and all that kind of stuff. It's just that, like I said about the comedy, the fact that there isn't like a strong narrative through line to get you over the fact that maybe you don't think it's funny. Like you, who are you following? Who are right. you rooting for? Like there's just a lot in 2022 stacked against it from an enjoyment perspective that makes it kind of difficult. To me, that narrative exists in a very kind of 
we're seeing it for the first time way that by presenting this as a series of vignettes, the pranks as they come about, the idea that there is an irreverence here where our lead character, Donald Sutherland, is going to just drive that Jeep off when the Tom Skerritt character (laughs) mistakens him for the driver. That part's funny. Then they get to the camp and how we meet those major characters that we'll see throughout the film in this organic walking through the camp way that happens on many, many times. Set design, I made a joke earlier, is huge in this film and the film we're about to discuss. You get to see the entire quote-unquote city as prepared, and then you begin to navigate through it. And then you might catch a little conversation over here. You might catch a little vignette over here. And to me, that's that ultimate take that he even picks up again in Gosford Park, mm-hmm. in a, but but in a more sophisticated way. I always forget that. And too. a more sophisticated set. Mm-hmm. It it is interestingly transformative into a world yeah. that has been created for you to see. I agree. I mean, Altman to me, the, I think the the thing that's revelatory about his filmmaking, and that I very few other filmmakers have really been able to pick up on and and do as well as he does, is that kind of messiness of the dialogue, the overlapping, this, you know, pulling us into these, you know, in this case, an army encampment, this this kind of unit there, and, you know, going into the mess tent or whatever and having, like, five different conversations going on and you're catching snippets of this as the camera kind of pans by that and then you land on this other character and they're having a different side conversation and there's a, and it's all kind of happening simultaneously. It's, it's really a wonder to behold and the fact that he was able to orchestrate those things and actually pull them off as well as he does and have it, I mean... Like you said, Joe, this was a bona fide hit. I mean, th- this was made for a few million dollars, three about three million dollars, and ended up grossing, you know, eight eighty million dollars at the box office. Right? Jeez. Like huge nineteen seventy money. This right. is pre-Godfather hit. You know, I mean, all and, right, Joe. All and, right. Well, Godfather changed Godfather. everything as far as hits, and then Jaws came up behind it yeah. and did a different thing. But mm-hmm. this Jaws change. We can make this everything. much money with a. Right, weirdo war with, comedy. Right, with something that, on on some level, I and mean, John what, has came along. has some real technical. Maybe flaws. these easy writers know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, you you see that, and and like you say, there's, I think, just wonderful work that goes into the production design of this thing. It just looks gritty and muddy and dirty in the way that a war film should, and that very few did before that. Mm-hmm. Um, This was taking a genre that Americans knew very well and doing something so different with it that it really changed it. I mean, and you can look at and and I and it may be hyperbolic in a certain sense, but but I think it's totally warranted to say that like you know you you wouldn't have Saving Private Ryan and the Big Red One and these these other films that came. Became later that had a much dirtier, grittier, muddier take on war if you hadn't had MASH. Yeah, and I also love the scene where the hypocrites, the 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 holier than thou burns in hot lips, Hulahan. Initially holier than thou, yeah. 
have a full, I think they're both married, have an extramarital affair, yeah. right? Uh, together. Right. And uh, let's slip the microphone underneath. And then the sound design of the reveal <laughs> of them understanding that they're being broadcast yeah. is incredible. It's a funny bit. But again, the thing that kind of like drags it down a bit is that she's the one that suffers the most from it. Right. See, I right. think our disagreement that it, is that they she does deserve it. I mean, not. I mean, because the, it's hard to claim monog. Uh, I'm sorry, misogyny when they're both the butt of that joke. Both of them. They are, but she's the one that kind of like. Doesn't she run out, and isn't she the one that's like the most distraught about it? Well, like Burns, she's the one that realizes it's happening. And, and, and Burns, kind of anyway. I mean, women reputationally are the ones who are going to take the bigger hit when it comes to something like infidelity, or you know, like that. That is, which is which is inequity. Period. That, right. Like I mean, especially in that sullies your reputation, especially in that era as a woman, much more so than if you're a man. If you're a man, that just means you have sexual prowess. Unless you're a man that prays all of the that's, time. That's what I was going to say, is that Burns is the one that's most deserving Pious. of it to me because he's the one that's always famous. Oh, yeah, no, guy, absolutely. You know. Like They set him up perfectly to be the the fall guy. But the, the dialogue the while yeah. they plan their rendezvous, I mean, the dialogue yeah. is fantastic in this yeah. film. I and mean, yeah. the delivery is so, so good. Ring I mean, Lardner, yeah. That scene is, stuff. I mean, look, that scene is funny, though. Like, yeah. the, the how much... Sally Kellerman is playing up the whole affair and yeah. like what she's saying and how she's saying it's yeah. it's funny until she's the one that like suffers the most and then it's like oh man I feel bad for yeah you. and then yeah. It, and then they even go further with her you know I of agree course, yeah. but it but I think the weird thing it's is, a good is, bit it's a classic bit though and then it boomerangs back and by the end of it she's like as like at the football mat the football game I which is my, match, which is the which worst is, part of the movie. Yeah, but I kind of like it. I it, it's a fun part. Although you also like an that, that's also almost. where you bring in Spear Chucker Jones. Yeah, which I read some commentary on that, and it's like, look, that's what that's that was his name in the book. It we was were true to the you know yeah original material. No, here. The, and that's a nickname that would have been comfortable to apply in the 1950s, and sure, yeah. and hadn't quite gotten to a point where it was Certainly. so uncomfortable in the Certainly. 70s. I think the redeeming quality that, yeah. of that bit is that he is such a leader on the team. I mean, he's clearly, right. No, he's yeah. clearly in control, and right. he's got that. Yeah, no, it. You know, but, but, but her it's... like where the rest of them are saying like, "Oh, let's you know play." Like she's like, "Kill them!" You know, <laughs> like, she's gone so far to the other end right. with her ze- overzealous. Having sex with Tom Scare will do that, from what I understand. Yeah, right. Whether whether he's a motorcycle cop or a you know field surgeon <laughs> or a captain of the Nostromo. <laughs> I, I was always been a big I fan of Match. It was interesting to look at through this twenty twenty view. I saw a lot of the same things you did, Carl. But yeah. then it was like it's a piece of art that we're gonna now look at through the time that we're currently looking at it. Yeah, I mean, for sure, holds up for me. Yeah, if it was an out and out drama, it might have been easier to go there with it because with comedy that implies a certain amount of joy and levity and that kind of thing, and so when there are jokes rooted in archaic yeah. worldviews. 
it's harder to go there with it when it's a drama and it's when characters are struggling and when they're trying to overcome obstacles and like things yeah. like that that are rooted in an archaic wor- worldview. It's, e- it's easier to be like, oh yeah, of course they're struggling because yeah. everything's terrible, you know? Um, so it, it is harder to go there with a comedy. It's, it's certainly it a film that, that I... Would. The golf shit is fun, though, for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 I also would be mad if a helicopter landed while I was trying to work on my swing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a film that, that would give me more pause in showing to a general audience than a lot of other films, but see the part from that era. But see, the part where they... Uh, the captain or whatever whoever the fuck that guy is in tokyo when they're taking the pictures of him in bed with that woman that's funny like to me that's even though it's like you know but that's the square getting the comeuppance because it's the guy in power right Right. that's that's the reason that that stuff works even if it's not nurse and i mean and she's exhibiting that same kind of rigid sure but, but that's why she's the target but i guess to me in my mind head nurse and surge like I feel like surgeon's still above yeah. head nurse, right? But, but with there's that, plenty of misogyny sprinkled throughout, you know. Which um, maybe that's my I, own bias. But, I need a yeah. I need this by uh, I need two hours, and we're here, and we're the professionals. I need a nurse that can do a good job without her tits. Getting yeah, in the way. and the, it's like even even on. even earlier on, he tells this nurse that she's terrible but she's got a great body so he keeps her around or yeah, something like that yeah. you know something to that effect well, which yeah. may have been going on in korea i'm sure it did all i'm right. sure it did we all but i just don't find it funny i think i think this was the right yeah. conversation for us to have i think that there are some laudable aspects still to this film but it is rooted to its time and yeah. i think as full-grown men we probably need to be able to progress beyond this sort of mentality but also as full-grown men do we like full-grown man he did it from tops brewery it's good i saw it a minute and a half ago (laughs) uh tops brewing it it delivers good beer as far as my i've had three of their beers history with them goes yeah this is just as good it's a nice shelfy stout it's not. I wish it, it was a shelfie for us. Yeah, it's right. It it's, is for some. It's not. Um, it's not curling my toes as something that I've never had before. Curling your toes? Very yeah. descriptive. <laughs> is that what you're looking for in beer these days? <laughs> if a beer curled my toes, I'd crow about it. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a solid imperial stout. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's it's got a lot going for it. Um, Your toes are straight, though. You're wearing flip. They are straight. They are straight toes. Um, but I enjoyed my uh, four ounces. Yeah, I've 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 liked this quite a bit. I think one of the nice things about it is that the molasses is well balanced. Yeah. It's not yeah. overtly sweet, but it has a nice take bit of sweetness it. on the back end. It's not it. so sugary. It's not so syrupy mm-hmm. like some of these kind of pastry stouts that maybe we can get into sometimes. But it's a nice um, – it actually reminds me of what y'all talked about with the um, peanut butter milk stout oh, from yeah, Tailgate yeah, yeah. Yeah. And where David described it as – a craft beer drinker will like this beer because it balances all of the things. It's not like, a, oh, you got to try this because it's so crazy. It's yeah. like, no, it takes these elements and puts them into a beer in a well-balanced, delicate way that a craft beer enthusiast will like. And I think that's what this one does. I agree. 
Yeah, very very solid Imperial Stout from Tufts Brewery. Would not expect anything less from them. Glad they delivered. Have never had a miss from them before. Carlos, your review curled my toes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, we are going to get into some more Altman in the second half of the episode when we come back. Flux doesn't create flatulence. <laughs> Welcome to Beer and Movie Flux. <laughs> we're getting into the heavy hitting topics. All right, uh, we're back, and you know what the fuck that means? That means that David needs to pass me the bottle opener because I have beer. a beer <coughs> that should be open. This is the fourteenth time that we have had this brewery on the show. Fourteen. Are they? Times, are they the folks. most? I couldn't find it. I, don't know. I think they. I they think this is right the brewery there, that there we can't have. be anything that we've had this month. There cannot be. This is a beer from you guessed it, Ingenious Brewing Company out of Humble, Texas. Joe, I got that right for you. Please applaud. Um, and this is part of their barrel aged release series, uh, in which they age things in barrels. And this is the. <laughs> Uh, Brewers Reserve Basil Hayden uh, barrel release. It's fourteen percent. Basil Hayden being a uh, celebrated bourbon, so uh, we, we we got some bourbon barrel aged. Do either of y'all have any musical references for Basil Hayden? Because you should. Tell me about it. Come on, why why don't I know? As members of the Hybrid Record Club, you should. <laughs> recognize basil hayden from the song red dragon tattoo by fountains of wayne oh the lyric they name check basil hayden yeah the lyric is drink down all the basil hayden get kicked out when i can't see straight what an island to be on under the neon red dragon tattoo so this was gifted to us remember i said that um a buddy of ours pulled me aside during our public screening of senor benavidez unbearable weight of massive talent this is one of the beers that he delivered and i don't know a lot about it outside of the fact that it's part of that barreled age series what so a guy what a 14 guy. point what does it say on your under your finger there carlos it's just 14 just 14 straight Ooh. no big deal definitely getting the barrel yeah getting that bourbon it's pretty syrupy it's got a very nice aroma mm. i had this <sighs> hayden for the first time recently actually delicious right that's pretty good yeah pretty good mm. i was at a wedding reception mm. at vino mio not anthony's unfortunately <laughs> um it was oh, man it was a couple weeks before Way that. to rub it in well, it was it was a couple weeks before that so it was, you oh, know, okay. i just wanted to clarify they're, they're uh, doing wedding receptions all the time now <laughs> well so the couple who i was there for have been they're around my age they've been together like 12 years Give or take. Like so a, since they a, were like five. Since they were in high school. Yeah. Uh, okay. Since they were five. <laughs> They've been together since high school. Had a courthouse wedding. And then we're just like, well, we'll just do a reception at Vino Mio and our friends can come and everyone will get over it. And 
That's what they Nobody did. Nobody got over it. The, everyone got over it. Everyone went and had oh, a great okay, time. Good. All right. And okay, they were just good. like, you know, everyone was like, oh, yeah, Aww. you guys did the reception already. It's fine. Whatever. We'll just hang out here and nice. eat cookie yeah. cake. And, and you had some Basil Hayden. And I had this, some Basil Hayden. It was great. This nice. poured thick. And it has got a fantastic aroma. So what do you do when you make a hit with $3 million grossing, would you say, David, 90 80, 80, in the 80s, yeah. You could do whatever you want to do. So yeah. what do you do? You build a set just like that mash compound. But now we're going back to 1902 Washington to make an anti-Western. Of course, we didn't discuss who's going to synopsize the film. No, we didn't, but I assumed it would be you. I'll go for it. Go for it. Uh, I've got no notes. Uh, Warren Beatty plays McCabe, who shows up at Presby- Pudgy McCabe. <laughs> Presbyterian Church, Washington, 1902, at a zinc mining community that is mostly men. The town being named after its only significant it's a, structure. Right, which is the seldom used church. the Presbyterian Church. It plays into the third act. Yeah. Um, he shows up at a at a bar at a western, and just like Mash, where you can kind of kind of scan the mess hall and hear four or five conversations, we're going to see that technique employed almost immediately mm-hmm. when he walks into a saloon, and and we're being caught up in this like real time way of this entire universe that we're being presented. 1902 mining town at the saloon. Well, he walks in in the biggest, dirtiest, bare-skin coat that you can possibly imagine and owns the room as a gambler, as a a fabled gunfighter. McCabe is here, Pudgy McCabe. The second character, Mrs. Miller, is a uh, whore. (laughs) I mean, self-referential. She calls herself a uh, female of, of, what do they call it, a woman of ill repute who uh, works at a whorehouse in a neighboring town. Well, he, after he (laughs) buys like cattle, three prostitutes to come back to this town where he can create this like brothel, she comes over and says, if you do this correctly, if you build it classy, if you, if we provide services that are above and beyond, you can make a lot of money. And they go, (laughs) If you build it, they will come. We got it. Okay. And they uh, ejaculation. Uh, they go into a partnership and begin making a lot of money and essentially taking over the town. Yeah, she says. Well, he tells her like nobody's going to pay this much for this service, and she's like, well, especially when I'm providing the three tents with the, <laughs> the tents. Know, yeah, and she was like, well, gonorrhea ridden. If you start selling them a premium product, they'll pay a premium price just wait right you know yeah. and then that's right. her kind of sales pitch to him two guys from the big city come in to uh buy out his claim he refuses and uh it's a known fact that these guys after you refuse their deal will send assassins to kill you and take the deal anyway and just yeah and just take your shit so yeah. three assassins come in and uh it becomes a who will win a basically death match three against one warren Beatty against these three guys yeah a he, lot of stuff happens in between but a pretty fair synopsis of what we're seeing yeah it's yeah and he tries snow to, covered washington state he tries to make a deal with them and they're like we don't make deals you know he tries to come back around and save his skin and that's that's where the climactic ending kind of begins so, so uh a, a western in the sense of uh, frontier america uh yeah. yeah, all of the tropes of the the horses, the the bra- the 
the brothel, the saloons, the gunplay. The it's poker, all there, but it's presented. They're playing cards. Yeah, it's presented mm-hmm. in a very different way than maybe anything we might have seen before. It's very Shanghai Noon-esque. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think that's what Altman was going for. Way ahead of his time. The negatory. Uh, th- this is um, <laughs> that was one of the movies I watched when I was quarantined, so that's why it's so fresh you know, on the brain. Can, can, come on, Shanghai Noon has its charms, it but has its but charms. it is not a revisionist western in the way that McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a revisionist western. Tell me more. Um, it, no, I mean you you've laid it out. I mean this is so you know we're talking about the frontier. We're talking about people. Um, showing up and and uh, being able to kind of make their own way in 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 a new territory, like really, um, you know, again, this is a mining town, right? They're zinc, right? Zinc is what they're mining, and this idea right. that like, okay, well, there's this money to be had. That means that these people who are who are prospecting who are doing this kind of work they're going to be pulling in money we can get money from them if we offer them services what services Services are looking for yeah what services do we need alcohol women the you know the saloon exactly so you know mccabe comes in and is entrepreneurial in that sense and he he knows it's there a great is money. opening scene yeah knows there's money to be made in this encampment um is going to come in and, and kind of do it um but what we see in mccabe and mrs miller as opposed to many of the westerns that came before it is a depiction of the west much closer to what it was now i mean they, they let's not get too romantic about it and say that like he went for such period detail and accuracy that it's you know it's not a robert eggers film no he's he's not quite there but it is leaps and bounds above what we had seen before in the american western film from john wayne and john ford right exactly where we had this romanticized version of the west where yeah right every sunset's the most gorgeous thing you ever saw stood six point six foot two and had you know uh pristine clothing and were you know like re- ready to kind of a manageable layer of dust over everything right no it's a little is, dirty this is feudal england this is shit in the streets because yeah. we haven't created an infrastructure yet and the only thing that was funded to create a, any kind of structure was the church mm-hmm. you know otherwise it's a filthy roads of dirt you know, a couple of encampments just to Isn't make it, the minimum in order to mine the zinc. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think about how recently people were throwing their shit out their window? <laughs> I'm serious. Like last week, that, that guy across the street from you was throwing... Yeah, no, no. The, you, yeah, you're well, talking the, about the, 19, the early 1900s, yeah. Those people that used to do that across the street from me, <laughs> they moved out. Oh, okay, uh, all right. But no, I mean, seriously, yeah, that's like... Yeah. I mean, at this point, I guess like 120 years ago, but still within an amount of time that we can fathom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the early 1900s is a fathomable time away from where we currently stand. In Mm -hmm. 1902, women and beer, whiskey, you can make a ton of money because it's what everybody wants. I mean, 
you know. So McCabe shows up, and he's such an impressive dollar bottle of whiskey. Yeah, that was a lot of money. He said, mm-hmm. yeah, "Let's negotiate between two and three dollars." Yeah, he's he shows up as this. Could you get a bottle of Basil Hayden for two dollars? <laughs> Not these days. Yeah, shows up and yeah. Sorry. I think the strength of this film is the idea that as the characters are shown, we see them as strong, but they are ultimately weak. And you see Warren Beatty show up as this imposing figure with this well-marketed kind of like uh, imposing, mm-hmm. my, my name, you know, creates buzz. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants to play his poker game. Mm-hmm. And he sees quickly, I can become, you know, I can entrepreneur myself into some success here. Yeah. But then as his stake is questioned, as his abilities as a businessman are questioned, by Mrs. Miller and then the rest of the community because a lot of his negotiation happens in front of the entire town and is not as effective as you would imagine it would be. We begin to see the d- d- this deterioration of this man. And to me, I mean, this film is... I've only seen it twice now. This is my second viewing. And I've only seen it on television or, you know, streaming. Yeah. Or, you know, This is a film, I think, that the sound design and the size of the screen are important to watch it in its full glory but i find this film to be glorious in a way that you know an anti-western made in 1971 only it could be it seems as if almost that maybe tarantino didn't give this movie its due and it's hateful eight influence oh there's there's definitely some it's not one that he talked about though i feel not necessarily but but it and he's and he's the pretty path for that kind of take on the western. I think, yeah, yeah. The only reason I feel like that's notable though is because I feel like he's fairly forthcoming about his influences. Yeah, and normally he would just tell you, "Oh yeah, I took from this, this, and this, you know, right. whatever." And but this isn't one that I remember him discussing in his press tour of the hateful eight although upon watching it there were things that remind i mean certainly mccabe's costuming is giving me very kurt russell and hateful eight vibes mm-hmm. um a lot of the kind of griminess and stuff as well yeah. um but you know overall i think not my favorite movie ever uh but there's stuff there that I think is worthwhile. Um, my the context of my viewing might have hurt it a little Uh-oh, bit. Pixels. Um, no, right after that, it was the like next movie that I watched, and I was like, ugh. I was already so just like yeah. perturbed, you know. Um, but I think Julie Christie's very good in this movie, and I think uh, as far as westerns go a genre that I'm not a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. It's one of the stronger ones. Well, I think so there Shelley Duvall shows up love her. Yeah, briefly, very briefly. Uh, I mean, she's she's not a huge part, but she she becomes a bigger part of Altman stuff later. Yeah. Um yeah. I I love this film. I th- I think this is an absolute masterpiece. Um beautiful film in all of its dirt and grit and and you know in much what we were saying in the first half about mash with what it was doing for the war film i think that similar thing was going on here with the western it's like look the west was not a pretty place the west was completely you know 
hard scrabble, everybody just like fighting it out, doing their thing. And, and you know, to romanticize it and act like there were these virtuous people who were coming in and sort of like defending the, the common person against the encroachment of, you know, like, no, that wasn't what was happening. What was happening There's was... There's commentary to that when he goes to that attorney. Yeah, yeah. Huge, con- I mean, huge commentary of like, no, you're going to duke it out. This yeah. is the West, man. yeah. Yeah, I mean the it, idea of the court system and law is bullshit. Right, right. I mean that we'll get there eventually, but right now, Correct. the situation you're in, you just need to do what you can. But you, we won't you, get there eventually. We'll structure this thing <laughs> so that these people can continue to do what they're right, doing. And when right, you walk right. up a ladder, you got to figure out a way to take your shotgun with you because you never Everyone, lay no, your but shotgun but it, but down. But eventually, we'll do it in a courtroom where you won't die for it. Instead, you'll you'll you know, die, but not as directly. <laughs> you'll die a financial death, not a uh, we won't an, shoot a literal you, death, right? But yeah. we'll make sure that you do not have the means to continue to survive. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, mean, there's still imbalance, but it just the 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 situation was so stark. It's just um, it's just interesting to see a depiction of that kind of corporate ruthlessness. This early in American history, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it was. It I know was, it was there, yeah. But it's not something that you see depicted in film or that you hear told in stories. I mean, well, I mean, it, the only difference then was that you could be so brazen as to just send in assassins. contract killers yeah. to you know do away. Okay, like yeah, if you're not willing to uh, take this pittance that we're going to give you, then we'll just come in and kill you, and then we'll take over anyway. And like during that. <laughs> during that scene it's so funny because it's just like they're coming in to offer him a lump sum Mm -hmm. for his thing his interest but but why would anybody do that he's like he's succeeding and it's like you're and he's he's printing money you're asking me to take a lump sum of money Mm -hmm. rather than a lifetime of money right like this will continue to make me money for the foreseeable like i can't and i'm sure in his mind i can't imagine a time in which this will not make me money but when you consider that corporate power consider that same guy who's printing money and can name his own price in negotiation with who he thinks he can make a negotiation with uh, the head killer Mm -hmm. uh what was his name anyway um Stammering, stammering, fumpering, trying to come up with, you know, lowering his price as he tells the story of what he's looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's just, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting to see because it's not, again, it's just not a story that's told in the ouvoir of the Old West in film. Yeah. You know? Well, so I think you have visually... A lot going on that kind of deglorifies this vision of the West that we have in a lot of Western films before it. Even from the jump when he's taking the water out of his hat. Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally, I'd never thought of that before yeah, in my yeah, yeah, entire yeah, yeah, yeah. life. Right. The amount if you of wear a films. Hat. The amount of films I've seen in which somebody yeah. rains, somebody is standing with a brimmed hat in the rain. I've never once until seeing them this empty, morning yeah. when I watched this movie seen somebody have to drain their hat right no but of course it's something you would have to do yeah 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 so you know you have that you have i think a soundtrack that is marvelous leonard cohen um 
you know, I, I I'm a big Leonard Cohen. One of fan. the best of these style soundtracks that we've done. Yeah, and and another one that in kind a very of falls specific time frame. I'll listen to the same Leonard Cohen song as many times as you. Thank asked you. Me to. Okay. Well, finally, we found we've cracked the code. Without, <laughs> I will not complain. I'll take it and I'll enjoy it. Thank you, Robert mm-hmm. Altman. And it, and it totally has. Um, it works. There, there, there's a sort of melancholy beauty to Leonard Cohen's work that I think fits this film very well. Um, you know, I think the performances are are fantastic. I think Beatty does some of his best work in this film. Yeah, Christie. it's like Dick Tracy and then this. <laughs> they put that silver. Dick tooth Tracy, on. Bullworth, and then this. Yeah. They put that silver. They put that. Where's Heaven Go White? They put that silver tooth on him. Down yeah. to Earth is better. To ugly him up a little bit. Uh huh. You know, to western it up a little bit. And it's a yeah. gr- it's a great movie. He's got the beard yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Such a, it's a a handsome. You fellow. also see, you know, coming just a couple years after Mash, or one year after Mash, yeah. the the beginnings of this kind of like interest that Altman has in working with these like Rene Aubergenois shows up again yeah he, you know here is the sort of saloon owner mm-hmm. who is trying to partner with McCabe and then ends up kind of undercutting McCabe a little bit later well, in the Mc- film well, yeah. yeah yeah McCabe rebuffs his idea of becoming partners right and bites him in the ass a little bit later John Shook who is, or Shuck, who is uh, who is painless in Mash? Right, mm. uh, you know here we didn't talk about that at all. Smalley, no, no we didn't. The painless that, subplot that that is a funny little <laughs> subplot in, in in that film. Um, you know, we've already mentioned that Shelley Duvall. This is her, I think, her first time showing up in she shows in his back films, up in a big way in then, Nashville. You know, com- comes back in yeah. Altman uh, throughout the seventies. So. Michael Murphy, also from MASH. You know, so, sure. So he's he's working Tanner. with these people again and again and again. Like a lot of great directors has the actors that he likes to go to. Right, right. Who who Creates can help stable. create that kind of, you know, who, who are, who are uh, colors in that palette that he's working with when over you ha- and over and over again throughout the 1970s into the 1980s. Yeah, when you're a director that has a very... Uh, specific approach the way that Altman does mm-hmm. and the way that you know someone like a Tarantino or an Eggers or any of these types of directors you find the pieces that work you find the people that are willing to go with you in that particular mm-hmm. approach to what you're yeah. doing in that particular methodology that you know are not going to push back on the kind of different way maybe you want to do things and that are suited to your particular yeah style yeah what stru- um, what struck me in this film is that there seems to be a switch that goes off when the uh the company that he does not make a deal with since in three assassins one of them is a kid and yeah. then one of them's like 7 feet tall right when that kid <laughs> kills that cowboy that we Carradine, know, yeah. yeah. On the bridge, the, a switch goes off on this film, where it becomes like, a, okay, oh my god, the stakes are higher. There is death. The stakes is death. Yeah. And as um, it would be in the old west, right? Warren Beatty goes on a three-on-one kind of duel with these guys. Very Shanghai noon. And it is, I think, so romantically shot. And ten- tense. I mean, like it, the 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 movie makes a turn from character development to 
now kind of real stakes western shoot him out. It, I, I appreciated that so much. The idea that it's in the snow, that when he dies, spoiler alert, when Warren Beatty dies in the snow and is left in the snow, I mean, that's, to me, the exclamation point on the idea that, like, the West was hard. You know, yeah. the West was real. The West was stakes. It is kind of a slow build to that, though, mm-hmm. I feel. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I didn't say that it did, but I just, I think... No, I mean, this, I think I, it's you a know, tempo choice that I enjoy. I think you know. I think when I'm watching something like this, like a western like this, I do think back to the westerns I've seen in the past and the experience I've had in this genre, and it kind of takes me back to like an open range, uh, which I know is way more modern than this is, but it is one of the earlier westerns I saw as a young man, mm-hmm. and it is a western that has a very, very, very slow build into an epic gunfight scene at the end and once it starts it fucking starts but it takes a long time to get there to me it's more realistic cat and mouse i i I enjoyed it a lot i enjoyed it a lot i i'm so glad we chose this film and i'm so glad that i got a chance to see it again i I would i would recommend this film as like mandatory viewing for for pretty much anyone interesting i i'm there with you joe i think give me five i think this is I, like I said, this is a masterpiece. Uh, this is a film that I think if you've watched some westerns and then you watch this film, I think you'll immediately understand what this is doing, what 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 it's trying to add to that western mythology that existed out there for decades before this arrived. Um, I think watching it in isolation, if you're not steeped in westerns, it might seem like a weird, like, well, what is this? What What is it trying to do? But if you see it in that context, I think you're going to get it right away. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think this is Warren Beatty's best work, perhaps. I think Julie Christie is at the top of her game. I think there's some... Part of, part of what I love about Altman is you don't necessarily get those scenes where it's like, clear what the dramatic stakes are but it's that sort of thing that once you've you've seen the entire thing and you kind of think back on it you're like oh yeah that was like a powerful moment that was that was something deeper than i realized because it's these fleeting moments and these like weird little what seem like casual exchanges going on between people that really become super important by the end of the thing so that so i i mean this this film remains up near the top of all of the Altman that I I've seen, seen it at Alamo. They'll do it on the big screen. Yeah, and the next you time have. They, the next time they do, I'm gonna let you guys know about it because I think this is a big screen worthy. The cinematography is very dark. Did yeah. y'all notice the same thing? Yeah. No, 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 on yeah. purpose, like in in nineteen. Well, and a lot of it shot, I think, with natural light. natural yeah, lighting. Very, I mean, like those those scenes in the whorehouse, where, like a very red. Yeah, just like sat. Yeah, it, it, I, I think the projection. Yeah, screening. Of I've this I've would never be seen this in a theater with very with an audience. So. I would love to. All right. If they do it again at the draft house, I'll have to go because. I did not have as strong a reaction to it as yeah. the two of you. I think it's, it might That's be one that takes two screenings, I'll be honest with you. So um, we're doing more Altman, right? We got another, someday. We got yeah, another yeah, Altman we'll, episode we'll someday. Well, we, I mean, yeah, we got to find a way to do Nashville. because Nashville would be great. I, we, I, we I mean, I've got, Nashville Popeye? I've got to see it yeah, at some Let's do it, for real. Well, well, wait, hold on, hold on. Did he do Popeye? Yeah, yeah. he did, yeah. 
it was considered Paul L. Smith from Crime Wave. Popeye was considered (laughs) the death of his film career until he quote unquote came back. Interesting. Popeye, he says, is a great. He he says now, like he's he's gone, but he said in in interviews until his death, Popeye is underrated. The critics didn't like Popeye. The audience didn't like Popeye. But I stand by Popeye, so I do Popeye. And I just want to say Nashville Popeye. Nashville Popeye. One more time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about it in After Hours a couple of weeks back. The idea of doing Sherman's March on an episode, and you know, the guy that recommended that movie to me, the guy that told me about that movie, my former film professor Bobby Lewis, big Altman guy big nashville advocate mm-hmm. like saying the praises of that and a guy i i very much respect and i i almost feel it a slight to him i almost feel it an insult to him that i have not seen nashville yet after almost eight years after him trying oh, well, to say like hey, we will rectify nashville. that we'll shortly that so we will certainly do more altman because there's more altman to do and i feel like there's more to uh mine there even though Maybe these two films that we did this week, his first two films, didn't quite land with me the way uh, that I had hoped. Yeah. But that being said, the first Altman film we did on this podcast, The Player, I loved. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was and doing you have not somersaults seen Park, over. Correct. No. Okay. But I have a strong memory of when that film came out, though. I think. I think, but David, would you agree? Late Altman is notably. Different, more vibrant, almost. Nashville and Gosford Park. That's an episode. So Gosford Park, I think. I mean, I think I know, I know Carlos is going to love it. Yeah, I think I, we we will return to all. We will for sure. Now, do you think that I would love this beer? I f- I'm going to start if y'all don't mind. I I this beer I mind is, a great deal, but I'll allow. The it. reason why Ingenious is the number one drink beer on this podcast they deliver something like this something special and this is a special 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 beer i enjoyed it very much do they do they make beers that aren't special we have had one or two that weren't our favorites you might have i don't know that In i history have. the queen nile thing we didn't oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that was kind of rough and and i've i've had a, a cherry wheat from them that was kind of medicinal we're not I here mean, to shit on they, them I they, mean, they no, tend, no, 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 they tend to swing for the fences that they're, they're not ones to do like half measure sort of beers they but go more big often than not and bold but yes n- the vast majority of the time, I am happy that they do that. This is would a you say ninety percent of the time? More, 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 yeah, more than ninety, right? I mean, because we maybe we no, there one out of fourteen that we've not been totally on the show. Yeah, so that's yeah. more than ninety. So right, I, right. I mean, I'm bad at math. To me, this is <laughs> this is an excellent, excellent. It's so version good. of the bourbon barrel age stout that. I mean, there, there's nothing they could have done here that would have made it better. This is just so beautiful, decadent. I mean, what, what a what a cherry on top of the uh, the cake that this episode about Altman is. It's straight up exactly what it says to be. Mm. It is a barrel aged stout. Yeah, if I climbed That's it, if I climbed Mount Everest, I could find room in my pack for a beer to drink atop my ascension. 
this would be the one. Wow. This would be the one. I just wanted to outdo you, David. There you go. (laughs) I mean, look, if you were going to climb a mountain and at the top of the mountain you were going to drink a beer, why not this one? Yeah. You know? Yep. The the only thing I can think, the only beer that I can think of that maybe you would want to do over this is a Coors Light because those mountains would be blue as fuck by the time you got to the top of you know what I mean? A beer, a beer made from mountain water would probably be apropos. But this is, I mean, what do you want out of a bourbon, or not even bourbon, any barrel aged stout? What do you want out of a barrel aged stout? You want balance in an alcoholic boom. You want you want the alcohol to be there, but you yeah. want it to be well balanced. Yes, you want to have some of that barrel flavor in there. Mm-hmm. You want some of that roastiness from the stout, and you want it to be thick. And this gives. All of that in spades across the board. Mm-hmm. Silky, velvety, delicious mouthfeel, great flavor. I can't imagine anybody doing this better. Whoa, man. I mean, it what is what it is. You it said is all the words. I said all of the words. I said mouthfeel. I said <laughs> <laughs> velvety. <laughs> yeah. What would oh. McCabe miss? What would McCabe <laughs> think of mouthfeel as a word? I don't know. I think I think he. Just... I hope he would love it as much as we do. <laughs> now the question is: if Do it you made him a dollar. do you love the word mouthfeel as much as we do? You can tell us because the great thing about this podcast is that the conversation does not end when the episode ends. It continues on social media, all of your favorite social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram at Beer Movie Show. Instagram at beer and a movie, Facebook.com slash beer and a movie TX, beer and a movie podcast.com is your home base. You can find a great many things there. You can find a link to our merch. You can find a link to the Discord where we're having all sorts of film conversations, beer conversations, TV, music, everything that you can imagine that you would be interested in that we are interested in. We're discussing there. Um, and you can find these great groupings that Joe has put together of episodes that cover certain topics maybe directors the all horror october stuff is grouped together there so whatever uh you feel like your entry point would be into beer in a movie if you're looking to dive into the back catalog there is some kind of curated thing on the website for you to be able to access exactly what you're looking for and of course as you know we do a bonus episode every single week. It's a great time. Uh, Patreon.com slash Beer and Movie Podcast is where you can find those things. That's where you can also financially support the show. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Uh, really helps us out a great deal. and We appreciate it very much. Thank you to all of our patrons that have been with us since the beginning. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you give us that five-star rating, please leave a written review as well. And, you know, do all that stuff so that the algorithm, so that we can manipulate the algorithm into putting our podcast in front of more beer and movie lovers out there so we can continue to grow. Because you know we're always trying to uh, initiate people into the cult of beer in a movie. Uh, And it has been another overlapping dialogue episode of beer in a movie. Until next time. That was the best I had. (laughs) If a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass so much. Follow me?